episode 77 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about buying board games. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Adam and I talk about all the different ways to buy board games in person and online. This continues our Gatecrasher series all about encouraging people new to board gaming to crash on in by giving our tips, insights, and experiences. We'll talk about Kickstarter, big and small retailers, and new and used games. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to myself and Adam talking about buying board games. We've gone through getting into board games. We've talked about discovering games. So on the kind of journey that we're establishing, you found out about board games. As you said, people were just inundating every mailbox, every communication medium, telling you, gosh, I, I need to get into board games. How do I discover these new games? We talked about discovering games, kind of how you go about that. How do you find the thing that you like in board games and reassuring that they're almost certainly making it, whatever you're interested in. So now it's time to buy games. Excellent. We're kind of breaking this up. This was Adam's idea to before games even come out, you can like pre-order. You can buy them before they come out, depending on your method. You may even be able to kind of help contribute to them being formed. You can also buy new games, things that have already been released. And then you can buy games that have been played already, a used board game. I mean, you already intend to use it more than once having purchased it. So not that different to have the first couple plays be some stranger you don't know, and then you buy it and take it from there. And of course, it's probably going to be cheaper that way. So starting with Kickstarter. Now, I'm pretty sure, Adam, you have not... Have you backed anything on Kickstarter, board game or not? Not financially. My heart has, but not my wallet one bit. In spirit. Yeah, like emotionally backed them. I've looked at it a lot. It's a very cool website just to look at what people are making out there. You, though, have definitely supported Kickstarter. I, yep. So, agree that part of the success of Kickstarter, I think, is the technology is the website that it's built on how accessible it is but there is also like it's not the most intuitive thing (laughs) given that they have to put a lot of like banners on there like this is not a store you're kind of sort of not really buying this thing you're buying the idea of it and i think originally crowd funding is the same thing you see on like uh what's that shark tank where someone has an idea they want to make it but they definitely don't have the money to make the idea But they think the idea is good enough that if only people knew about it, they could contribute little bits as a crowd instead of trying to find one like very rich person to say, here's money to do your thing. I agree with you. It's going to go great. Now you can just find anyone on the internet. Everybody gets to contribute a little bit. So usually there's, they call it reward levels because again, it's not a store, but typically someone has some thing they want to sell. And it can be like, we're talking about board games. It can kind of be anything. Usually something they are creating. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's a bit of technology. I've gotten cookware on there as well. Can be a lot of things. It has become pretty popular for board games. So much so that there's now other websites that specifically are for board game crowdfunding. That would be GameFound, I think, definitely. And I don't know if there's more than that. So what happens when you are participating in Kickstarter someone has come up with an idea for a board game, they can be in different levels of development. So someone may say like, here's a a rough sketch of what I think this game will be. And others may be basically finished. This is a little contentious because some people think Kickstarter is meant for to fund a project that otherwise wouldn't fund. 
And you can definitely argue that certain board game publishers, just the people that regular make board games and put them in retail, are just using Kickstarter as a very flashy pre-order service. And how you feel about that is sort of up to you. So that is also kind of the danger in the fact that you're not really buying something. It could just be uh, like planned and not really actualized. So you'll contribute some amount of money for a reward level. And it might be like basic one gets you the game and the deluxe one gets you nicer components to go with the game. And if you're doing it with a publisher, but not, not every time, you're pretty well guaranteed to actually get that game. But there's some risk there. If something happens, even with a publisher, if they, you know, go under, they're not able to make the game. There's a weird economic effect where something about getting more orders, maybe it's a Michael Scott paper company problem. Like something about getting more orders then makes it impossible for them to get the orders out. So they kind of just get underwater with things. I think that happens. So you do have to know that when you back a Kickstarter, there is a chance that it may you may never get it. And you also, when you give the money, I'm pretty sure once it funds, I think before it funds, you can decide to take your money back. But I think once it funds, like you are charged and then that's the end. Everything else I think happens in good faith after that. And you may even get the product and feel like, hey, I don't think this is really what you said it was going to be. And I don't know that you necessarily have a lot of recourse outside of the good faith of whoever established the product. So that said, it makes it sound a little more I think it, it sounds more risky than what I've actually experienced. I've backed quite a number of games. And as I said, a few other things. Some I backed a uh, thing for the Switch that lets you uh, use your computer screen as a Switch, as a screen for your Switch. Like, so you can plug it in there, plug it in your computer, and it opens a window where you can play your Switch on your computer. So pretty nice for something like travel if you want kind of a bigger screen or whatever. Um, I backed some kitchenware. And then I've also just given small donations to like game stores. So they'll do funding like we need to renovate our game store or we're opening a board game cafe and we're taking, you know, money through Kickstarter. So it might be somewhere I'm like really never going to go, but you're just kind of, again, donating to the idea of it. Usually it's just a couple dollars that I'll give to that. Some of the content creators that we talked about in the last episode also have Kickstarter drives every year. Dice Tower does one every year. They Their kind of method of that is they will sell promos for board games that are not worth the value that you pay for them. It's like one card or something. And you'll pay maybe $5 for that one card. Well, it's inherently understood that really you're giving a donation and kind of getting a gift with donation sort of vibe. And that's a major part of how they are able to fund and pay for the uh, employees that they have, the space they use to record, the recording equipment. That's a big part of their like annual budget is running a successful Kickstarter. A lot of times the more money a project raises, the more things will get unlocked and then that will make whatever they're trying to make better and fancier usually. Sometimes backing early gets you certain things. Sometimes just backing at all gives you some kind of exclusive things. There's some board games that'll have like... um, oh, I don't know what you want to say, like really high dollar backing amounts. And you might get to specifically dictate something that goes in the game, like a picture of your pet or even a picture of you, or you might get to, you know, choose or sign or do something, Uh, get a special copy of the game, maybe that has the designer and like artists signed things. Sometimes you have those opportunities as well. If you're that type of, I think you have to be kind of a collector to even entertain it. I mean, maybe if you're very passionate about a game, but it'd be sort of unusual to see it on Kickstarter. Sometimes you do get second edition, like later edition reprints show up on Kickstarter. So it could be a game you already know about. 
that is a lot of information that I just kind of spewed about Kickstarter, but I think it's the weirdest of these options. And after everything else we're going to talk about, you'll probably be like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, I understand how to use Amazon. But Kickstarter, you do create an account, you back things. It also takes, not for everything, but there was recently a bit of a shipping crisis across the world. It can take a very long time, a very long time to get your game or whatever it is that you backed on Kickstarter. Some things show up fast. Some companies are better about it than others. Some refuse to give any Kickstarter exclusives. Um, Some do precisely the opposite to the point where it's confusing. Why do they keep making this fancy edition of Kingdom Builder? Like Queen Games is really doing some things on there if you're familiar with them. So there's a lot of variety still in what you see, even inside of this, what feels like a small platform, but I think Frosthaven, Gloomhaven, millions of dollars and other board games as well. A lot of times if someone famous from something else, for some reason has decided to make a board game or like a comic series that makes a board game, sometimes those would do really well because they just have a bigger audience and they're a more casual game where people will play them. So there's certainly a lot of money to be had in it. There's some debate over like, you're just making things too nice for the sake of it. And it's not like really contributing to the game. Lots of opinions to be had there, but it's an interesting way to see new games that are coming out. Um, you'll usually get the game before it goes to retail. If it's a game that goes to retail and very often you'll get at least something very often, you'll get something that is not in the retail edition. So Kickstarter is a fun process, but it is a, it is a long timeline. It's very hard to be like, oh, I'm going to have this game in time for whatever X event or gift or whatever to the point where you kind of, you get pay for it up front. So you kind of forget that it uh, happened and then also never seeing it in person. We're about to start getting to new games. You're more likely to see in person. You don't always have a sense of scale. Even if they've kind of showed you, it's, it's it doesn't always hit home. People are getting the Everdell collector's editions. I backed that one and I I don't regret it because it's going to be very easy to sell if I decide I don't want it. That's another thing. If you're going to resell and you got a collector's edition, you decide you don't want it, it's probably going to hold its value. Not everything. Hold its value better. That box for Everdell, I've seen other people hold it and I'm like, I, I'm not sure where that's going. Like, so there, you can have some of that too, where you're seeing it. It's like, oh, it's going to have all this cool stuff. And then you actually get it. And it's like, oh, I may have gone overboard. This is maybe... These number of boxes is maybe a lot. And then I've backed up from Kickstarter a little bit now because of shipping prices. The fact that my local game store often gets Kickstarter games means that like when you're trying to ship it just to yourself, it might be another $25 to pay for this game. Sometimes the price is offset where you're getting it cheaper than retail and then paying the shipping and you kind of end up paying a retail price for it anyway. But um, because I've seen a lot of Kickstarter editions at my local game store, Now I kind of feel like, well, if I go in there once a week, I'm probably going to be able to see this game and have the opportunity to buy it at that time. So yeah, I've backed off it a little bit. During the pandemic, it was a a wild ride. The first thing I backed was Last Bottle of Rum and it remains, I think I, that one I actually do have more of a like emotional commitment to. I like the game. I don't know if it's a great game, but I love the art and I do feel like that's the first thing I backed. And I did really enjoy the process. Once you start backing a lot of things, it's like 
you feel like you're almost running the shipping for a very small retail store because it's all these updates and talking about containers and talking about proofs they're getting from the factory. Like they bring you in on the process. Sometimes you get to vote. It's all a lot. This wasn't meant to be a Kickstarter episode though. And it's just very hard to explain it if you aren't familiar with it. Right. Is it fair to say from a budgeting standpoint, Kickstarter is going to always or almost always be more expensive than just going to the store, but you're participating in this pre-order process. I would say it's going to probably average out to a little less than a actual board, get like a friendly local game store. Okay. It, it's going to average out to a little less than that, but not a lot less, I think. And I'm thinking like between super big collector's editions and then other ones that stay nice and small and tight, like the Flat Out Games, uh, who makes like Cascadia and Calico, they always do $29. And that is oh, is wow. very reasonable. And I don't remember what the shipping was, but I think like there are some that pride themselves on staying very reasonable and kind of at this line. And there's others that go very much in the opposite direction. So some really do need the money to be able to make it into retail stores. And then the values there are also different. So I say all to say it's a whole ecosystem and it becomes kind of a culture upon itself. If you happen to watch the Dice Tower, as we suggested maybe doing in our last episode, they every week, pretty much, they will cover Kickstarter board games or games that are doing crowdfunding because they might be other places. They will cover them and talk about them. They'll all give a pick of the week. They'll kind of share. They're pretty, they, they're pretty open about sharing what they will and will not back themselves. Um, So that can kind of give you an introduction into this and kind of see it. Board Game Co., which is Alex Radcliffe, runs that. He does a lot of things about buying and selling Kickstarter uh, things as well. And he'll also recommend other people. So if you kind of get into that sort of subculture of a way to acquire games, but you should know that like no, no matter how exclusive anything seems to be on Kickstarter, I used to feel like, oh, I miss out on this Kickstarter. And anymore, I'm like, I don't know. They're still going to sell me the game if I want to play the game. Like, there there are very few things that are actually limited. Like, we're not going to sell it. And even then, they're probably going to have a retail edition. It may not be as shiny. But, like, y- you don't have to feel like I'm never going to play the game because I didn't back it on Kickstarter. Like, everything just makes its way into a store or somewhere else anyways. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, and you know, having gone to the website, once you kind of play around with the website a little bit, there are videos, there are instructions mm-hmm. on how it all works. Uh, a little yeah. bit of time and you'll pick up on it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's all very well done. And I think that definitely makes it successful because it's a bit chaotic overall. So right. it's it's very streamlined and well done. And uh, yeah, but its own, it's totally its own thing. That aside, that is technically that's pre-ordering games. The regular way you would expect to pre-order games. You can do this at your uh, local game store as well, but individual publisher websites will let you pre-order games sometimes kind of like Kickstarter and and only in the sense that you'll actually get the game because they're really making it. And they will also maybe have exclusives as well. Um, If you choose to buy games literally from the publisher's website, after the game's already out. Sometimes they'll have like exclusive promos or like little add-ons or things you can buy there that you might not be able to buy otherwise. It's not usually a... Sometimes it might be cheaper if they're just trying to like clear up space, but it's typically not the most affordable way to get board games. It can be kind of nice to get it directly from them because then you think more of the money is going back to them than any other middleman. 
Yeah, it's an industry that, I mean, some we talk about may less or more want the money, but like if it's going to your local game store and then you're supporting them, which yes, their function is a middleman, but you know, Mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing to support that local economy. Right, right. And moving right on to new games. And I think a lot of times when you're searching to buy, I mean, as an American, (laughs) you're searching to buy anything and you just put it into Google and you're like, you're, you're just searching the internet. Like, how can I buy this game? Amazon usually comes up for whatever, whether it's a game or any other object that is being made. That was their goal. And I'd say they achieved it. We actually got a replacement for our refrigerator, water dispenser on Amazon, just regular on Amazon. Didn't have to talk to the manufacturer of the thing at all. And it was here the next day. They're definitely doing it. Now, Amazon got in a bit of trouble, which you can search for information about this with counterfeit games. Amazon themselves didn't get in trouble, but sellers were selling counterfeit games in a way that when you open the box, you probably wouldn't notice, especially if you weren't like really deep into board gaming. So that's a thing. If you have bought games off of Amazon and they were popular ones, there's like a chance what you actually have is a counterfeit copy. I have not evaluated my games for this because they still play fine. It just turns out you don't have like a real copy of the game actually from the publisher. They just copied the box, copied the components, made the same thing. That's a a bit of a thing. And I think that kind of changed the games that you saw on Amazon as a result and kind of other websites. But still, can you search for games on Amazon and will they be delivered the same day or the next? Yes, definitely. And there are a couple pros to Amazon. Uh, Of course, the timeliness, like you said, of Mm. shipping, just the access, right? We all probably are using it anyways. We know how to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do have reviews listed on there that we've done other episodes with. We have. Um, I can't say I've ever used them to influence my purchasing decision. You've never used an Amazon review for any? Uh, Not for board games. Oh, okay. And honestly, not for very many things. Usually a review, I'm only, I might be looking to have a specific question answered, like, does it have this thing or not? Like, if there's something I can't tell from the product photos. But I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I have trust issues, but I just feel like I know what I'm looking for. I feel like the research I'm doing is more outside of Amazon than in. That's probably fair. I use the one-star reviews mostly. Like, show me your worst feedback. And if I can allow that, then I probably want this. I think a lot of times those are the sort of things that I don't like buying. The things that I would want to know that I don't like buying on Amazon, maybe. So maybe that's the trade-off. But anyways, moving on to still big things you could buy on, like still big retailers you could buy online. But brick-and-mortar shops like Target and Barnes & Noble, I would say especially. I imagine Walmart probably has a pretty decent board game section as well at this point. Target, I know, has a very big, when you're in the store, they have a nice selection there. They're even having certain editions of games published specifically for their stores. So there was a Downforce edition that was like a little different, smaller, lighter box. And I think they're trying to like, you know, hit a price point, maybe bring down the component quality for the everyday Target shopper who's not necessarily so focused deeply into uh, board games. Um, They have that for, I think, Raiders of the North Sea, maybe, also has like a Target edition. So they have editions of board games that are otherwise published. They have some exclusive games, I think, through Buffalo Games and a pretty well-known game designer. 
Phil Walker Harding. He's been doing games with Buffalo Games exclusively sold at Target. So their buyer, from what I've heard, goes to board game conventions. So there's someone who's actually like engaged in the board game community, maybe a little more than is probably true at some other uh, stores or retailers. And when you go online for them, they have way more. I think some of it's sold by other people rather than Target, but they'll do big buy two, get one free sales. And for new games, that is close to the best deal that you can get. As an average, like 33% off is is pretty good off of a new board game. So definitely that. And then you go to Barnes Noble way more than I do. Correct. They have a, a good section. They organize their section. I like the way they do it. As far as they have kind of bigger games together, they'll have two-player games together, kind okay. of party-style games together. So the layout, I think, is very favorable as well mm-hmm. when you're just perusing that. Uh, they've got quite a bit. I mean, more and more, it seems like, when I go in there. So, and, and a nice, again, a range from which, I mean, I don't think they have, like, Monopoly or anything, but they've got, like, kind of the more base uh, games, but they've got some pretty complex ones all the way up the ladder there. Okay. And it sounds like they're arranging their stores more like a local game store would, a specialty game store. Yes, like a kind of a very micro version of that. Right. Um, so like it may be like a split shelf and stuff, like it will be shelves upon shelves, but um, usually over by the toys that they also sell mm-hmm. and uh, near the crossword puzzle books. Uh, it seems oddly <laughs> specific. I'm sure you can find it. I, I don't need to give you map directions right in the barnes and noble but it is worth if you're someone who doesn't go to barnes and noble and i mean in general book selling stores we see less of them because of amazon quite frankly um if you haven't been in one recently or even ever there's a there's some diversification in there of what you'll find because books a million is another one that's around here they'll have like t-shirts and kind of like gift items and stationery and books and some toys magazines like there's often a cafe like there's kind of a diversification of what they're offering in there and i think board games fit really well with that like it's something to expand right and they fit really well because there's already these shelves and they fit right on the shelves so while we're here we don't have to change anything just put them right in the back right 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 um and as we kind of just mentioned local game stores are often called friendly local game stores I have no idea why. I don't know if we're saying it because they were always so friendly or if we're trying to enforce that they should be friendly. Don't be jerks um, about people wandering in and not being, you know, informed on the hobby. No idea. I think I thought it was a a Spider-Man reference because they call him like your friendly local Spider-Man or something like that. And since it's kind of like the nerd place to go, like I guess I always assumed it was a comic book reference. Do they say like friendly local comic book? shop is oh, that I don't a know. thing i'm not hearing that but i right. may not be in the circles no i mean i didn't know about friendly local game store for a while so yeah i don't know why they say that but if you hear flgs it looks like to me it just looks like flags it's nothing to do with flags that's just what they call an independent for the most part game store you might have a game store in your area that has a few locations but i can't say that i know of any nationwide board game specialty store like a GameStop would be but except board games if anything I think GameStop is trying to sell board games they're trying to sell anything video games have changed these friendly local game stores are like hobby shops so if you have some other specific hobby interests like 
quilting maybe where you go into you could maybe find a quilting shop or two in a city it's kind of like that depending on your city there may be more or less game stores and it's organized in a kind of in a similar spirit and way that you're going to be able to find more of a variety of things there than like if you were trying to get some quilting stuff at the regular craft store they'd have some but the quilting store is going to have like more specific stuff same thing i would think about like auto part shops if you go to somewhere generic they're going to have some things but when you go to your specialty store they're going to have exactly what you need that's more like what happens at a friendly local game store so there's a usually a good variety of games they'll be organized not all the same but they tend to be organized in some consistent way to make it a little easier to know what you're looking for of course asking whoever's working is probably the fastest way to go about that sometimes you kind of see some overlapping interest there some of them will be like comic book shops and board game stores sometimes they'll be kind of board game cafe ish and board game stores um, you'll see like puzzles and maybe more traditional games like chess and go like nice chess sets or go sets. There's also overlap with things like tabletop role playing games and then like maybe specific war game type things. So you'll see some of you'll see some of that. Every shop may have a slightly different sampling kind of what's going on as far as that's concerned, but you're pretty much guaranteed a good variety of games. You might find that some are stocking the things that maybe they like and approve of. Um, so some may have way more family and party games and others may have way more like Euro, super deep, complex games. It just depends on the store. I know there's one uh, that's actually closer to me that I don't prefer to go to. I go to one that's a little further away. Great to have more than one option, but that's just... I found that the kind of games end up being stocked and then also just the staff, the holistic kind of experience, I do end up preferring one over the other. So if you have more than one in your area, try a few out. I should say they will definitely, I mean, not definitely, they're almost certainly going to be more expensive, the most expensive of any option that is listed here. They will sometimes have their own clearance things where you might be able to get things on sale, old demo copies perhaps. If it's a store that also kind of maintains a game library, they may kind of sell things out of their library so they can add new things. I consider it a donation to their existence to be able to have a local specialty shop is, you know, not every place has one. Some people have to travel pretty far for one. So I know I'm paying more than I could get it online, but I don't think we should always be driving to the bottom. That said, I bought a lot of games on Amazon before I felt like that was a choice I actually got to make. It was either I'm going to buy it on Amazon or I'm not going to buy a game. So I kind of feel like I have a choice now and I try to do that more as a donation for my local economy, my local jobs, knowing more of that money is kind of staying here because they are typically independent. But that's the games play the same wherever you end up buying them from. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned about asking them when you get there about the layout of things. I think in that cost of, yes, it's more expensive, but it's probably, other than like online videos or things, is an in-person mm. reference and review and, oh, if you like this, you might like that. Yes. I mean, that's if you kind of budget that into it, I think yeah. it's your, your money ahead in yeah. that way to have Absolutely. a resource to talk about it. And I think that can be, for me... I've said it so many times that I'm pretty deeply introverted. I'd rather do watch the videos that, you know, feel personal, but are ultimately not like there's that distance there than chat up someone, but you're making an excellent point 
that you can go into the game store, just kind of chat up people and not even just because then it becomes like a bit of a community space. Cause these are also other people interested in this in your area. So even if you're just in the game store, I know sometimes we've been in there and people are talking about a game and then we'll throw our two cents in like, Oh yeah, we have that. It's really good. It's really good with people who like these kind of games or we didn't like that because we like this kind of thing or this happened and that didn't go over well with us. And it just, hearing those firsthand experiences may be a little more helpful than uh, just what you might find elsewhere. So yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. Played games. They've been played, but they still have value. (laughs) This is very true. And kind of as a bridge between new and played and friendly local game store and whatever, there are online game-focused websites that sell news games There's a lot of them. I think that now you can get as good of a value as what you find on Amazon pretty consistently, not on each site, but collectively, you you probably can. To name a few, Tabletop Merchant, Funnigan Games, Game Nerds, Miniature Market, Noble Knight Games, Cool Stuff Inc., Board Game Co. These are all different. uh, Cool Stuff Inc. might sell other things. I think Miniature Market might as well, but anyways, they all sell board games. Some of them have like a ding and dent section, which I think if you order board games from the internet, most things are arriving a little bit ding and dent. Like the things that I have gotten on ding and dent have been like, they just look like a regular shipped game. Like a corner might be a little funny or what have you. Hasn't been bad at all. So that's another option to get a new game, but often at like a used price for something that it might just be the box. If you're not the kind of person to care about that, you can get a great deal. And some of these, like Miniature Market, I think was originally, or maybe still is, a local game store. Noble Knight is a local game store that then has this online presence and arm where they sell a lot more games kind of out of a warehouse. And some of them will also have used games. Noble Knight, I know, does. Board Game Co. does as well. I guess technically on Amazon, maybe you can get used games. Sometimes at your local game store, you can get used games. Uh, So yes, that is definitely an option. I would say... It's uh, friendly local game stores and those online stores are where I buy the ma- like the majority of uh, almost all of my games now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I've bought substantially more in person than online uh, mm. in any sort of distant memory here. Mm. So you can, the same way that you buy used things, whatever other used thing you might be considering, that place might have board games. Goodwill? technically sometimes has board games now are they going to be the board games that we would be referencing the kind of subgenre of board games we're talking about probably not but there are certain ones that we would call designer board games hobby board games that have gotten popular enough or what have you that you might see in goodwill i could see ticket to ride splendor you might find those in goodwill right alongside you know jenga and monopoly or what have you yeah yeah you're the 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 issue is always whether all the pieces are there and it's kind of hard in the moment to know no they're not they're not and so you gotta be prepared for a little bit of workshop and back at the home yeah it's kind of like hey grab that deck of cards we need to cut one to fit this size to add to the 13th whatever yeah but you've probably also paid like two dollars so to have to do a little bit to find a little piece or add some change or whatever to make it playable 
that that might be a very reasonable compromise. Now, other types of used shops like half price books, like a used bookstore, maybe certain mm-hmm. other kinds of thrift stores may have like better oh intake for things like that. Now I feel like half price books will tell you if a piece is missing and that's just so you, you know, to use bookstore. Other like I could see a music a music store that sold used things could sell board games. Haven't seen it, but I I could see that they would. Once you're buying things from people that fit on shelves, you know, why not? So I've had some luck in finding interesting things at half price books. It's the sort of thing just like just like thrifting. You don't know that anything's going to be there. You don't know what you'll find. So if that's kind of your preference to get kind of these used and interesting things at a really good deal, you tend to have to go a lot and you'll probably find like there's more than one half price books in my area and some of them just always have better games than others. And then I have um, very intentionally, because you don't get the best money for selling to half price books, but I have sometimes intentionally like, yeah, I know I'm not gonna get the most money, but I want to put these games back in the same games, you know, same store that I've bought a couple things for, because I can, I can then see how these games like, you know, improve the game economy here. And if, you know, if people start buying and selling games here, then I'm going to have better options in the future. So I'm, I'm going to seed it with some games that are maybe attractive and maybe we can like have this section grow a little bit just by contributing to it. They'll also have new games at half price occasionally. And that might be a thing that you see in whatever your local version of that is where, you know, excess inventory. I don't know what that, I don't know how that works really, but they'll sometimes just have wrapped things, kind of odds and ends, a whole bunch of one game and you can get it a little cheaper. That's how I originally got one of the Everdell expansions was at half price books new for just less money. Yeah, there is a pretty good variety of those. Um, another play, a uh, few places to look. I don't really do the Facebook ing of things, but I know like Facebook oh, Marketplace may offer I bet. those individually. Craigslist will have people posting board games, like sites like OfferUp, any of those that sell things right. secondhand. Um, you can find them there. And then Shop Goodwill Online is an interesting rabbit hole to go down. Where they can have some, I have not bought board games. I have seen that they have board games on there. And I think Shop Goodwill, I don't know if it's just like the better stuff out of Goodwill. I can't, I don't really know how it, okay. I must say, I don't really know how it, okay. I didn't really know how it operated. But yeah, shopgoodwill.com, you can, I've gone there for video game stuff before. It's not, I mean, in the sense of you're just trying to buy a used thing from a place. It's a little like eBay. Um, Have you ever bought board games off eBay? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah, I haven't either. I'm trying to think here. Nope, I never have. I I can only imagine they are on there, though. Um, so they, I've looked at them. I usually see out of print, rare. Mm. Uh, they're probably selling regular ones as well, but that's yeah. the... If you're looking for something obscure, eBay is good across the board for anything like that. Right, right. That's a good point. Because you will see that a little more, not at Goodwill, but at like a used bookstore type place they might know that something is out of print and the price will be reflected of that. So if you are looking for something very specific that is very hard to find, that might be how you, that might be how you find it. There's also kind of in the Facebook, eBay sort of vein of things, Board Game Geek will have, has a geek market. 
I have never used it. I don't really understand totally how it works, but it seems as though some people use it a whole lot. And when you're searching on there, it'll kind of tell you like geek market prices for certain games. That can be a kind of starting point for what the value of a game is, especially for those that are out of print. If you've kind of played something or found something somewhere and wanted your own copy and then find a, have a hard time just finding it new full stop because it's not currently being printed. Really popular stuff will stay in printing forever. Other things, it's very, it's very normal and fine for a game not to be currently in print. Like that's pretty typical, but also there's plenty of uh, things that are technically out of print that you won't have a hard time finding a copy of. So I think it, it does usually ride along with demand. And if the demand gets too high, someone prints it again because they would like that money. So it's nothing, it's not a big problem, but sometimes for very specific reasons, uh, highly sought after games still remain out of print. So yeah, that kind of an aside to finding games. And then finally, math trades. Have you done a math trade, Adam? No, I saw this on the list and I'll be honest, I don't know what it is. Yeah, so it's kind of like bartering. If, you know, if you want to get rid of a game and you want to buy a game, let's say both of those games sell new for $40. Well, I'll sell the $40 game that I have for $20 and then I'll spend another $40 on the game that I want. That's kind of how that would usually go. For a math trade, you get a group of people together who want to do basically that. It gets more complicated than this, but let's keep it here for the example. I have game A and I want game C. And Adam, you have game C. You have the game I want. The only problem is you want nothing to do with game A that I have. And you are looking for game B that neither one of us have. Right. So what we would ideally need is someone who has the game B that you want and also wants the game A that I have. And then we can all like pass a game to the left and feel really good about ourselves. No money actually exchanged hands. And did the value of the things match up? It sort of doesn't matter because the value <laughs> value's relative. Of anything is what somebody wants, right? Or what right, because yep. the game that I had may have been very valuable, but I didn't want it. And I actually wanted a cheap game that just happened to be hard to find. And I just didn't want to put money out of pocket for it. There could be a lot of different reasons. Now it gets more complicated than that. Cause I think that that same exchange, I just described three people each pass the game to the left. Everyone has the game they want. Everyone goes home, everybody's happy. But you could do that same thing with, 15 people and then the passing Oof. to the left might be way more complicated than that so i believe they are like algorithmically supported or managed i guess that's the math part of the trade but i think like everyone puts up the games that they have to give and then everyone puts up the games that they want and then maybe at some point in the past manually but now almost certainly with the help of a computer that's been told how to do it it matches up who should get what. Now that's my understanding of math trades. I haven't done one. That might not be perfect, but I believe that is the scenario. And what can happen is you end up getting better value for your games because you didn't have to go through the medium of cash. You didn't actually have to literally sell yours. And we all know from those other used options, some of those board game websites let you sell directly to them. Some board game stores, if they're taking in used things, I reference half price books, 
they'll let you sell your used games that you don't want, that you played enough or maybe played and didn't like as much as you thought you would. They'll let you sell them, of course, for less money. And usually a a very obvious less amount of money. The board game websites I felt like have been decent, but still, they have to have a margin so that they can make money and maintain the inventory. All that has a cost to it. By doing this math trade, you sort of avoid that. So it's closer to selling a game directly to the person who wants it. And it, in the end, gets a little better than that because you're getting exactly what you want instead of dollars that you then have to translate into what you want. That's pretty cool. Where is this done at? Like, how do you so find these? I think sometimes it happens at conventions. I think it happens online. I believe Board Game Geek, if they don't actually run them, because Board Game Geek can be kind of nebulous because it is a website that is being run by people who do that as their full-time job. But there's so much of it is community-driven. There's like guilds on there. You can make these geek lists. You can kind of have these events. Another thing that they do is Secret Santa, where you can like sign up for Secret Santa and then... You uh, put things on your wish list. You're in. You're part of the Secret Santa, and someone will get something for you on your wish list, and you will buy wish list items for somebody else. So there's things like that that are being run, kind of asynchronous events as well. I'm not deep into any of that, but that is if you're interested in it. That is where I would go to learn more about it. That's cool. I forgot about that Secret Santa thing. That is pretty fun every year to see the, the yeah. comments. And I think that. in general, it's just, one, it's just nice to uh, to pay it forward kind of thing. Because there's no guarantee that you're going to get, it's not about an equal value. It's not about like a math trait that you're going to get what you deem as the right value for the thing that you got rid of. It's not like that. So there will inevitably be people who receive gifts from very generous Santas that buy a lot of things off their wish list. But also sometimes it's just like someone includes some sort of little handmade or heartfelt thing where we're talking about value that isn't all monetary. Talking about like just that connection and community spirit that is a lot of what draws us to board games. In general, uh, a very nice bunch of people are the ones who are playing board games. So having these sort of little special uh, add-ons, like someone might make you a dice bag if you have like a game that has a lot of dice. Like you might get something like that in addition. That's, you know, just very much the spirit of the holidays and the spirit of the hobby. And kind of speaking of those little add-ons, you can, Board Game Geek has a store where you can buy a limited number of board games, which I don't, super know how or why things get in there. They also have like upgraded bits that you can buy for games. I believe those are licensed on Etsy. You can get upgraded pieces for your game. So maybe the game has like a cardboard something, honestly, a cardboard anything because it's a board game and you like this game so much and play it so much that you're like, I could go for a plastic or a metal piece or something like that. Something that more thematically ties in if that's the kind of gamer that you are. There's a lot of board game stuff on Etsy. You might also decide you open the board game box, you punch everything out. There's like a thousand plastic bags in some of those. You might decide you want like a board game organizer so that you can just pull these like special made boxes out of your box when you go to play and you kind of can set up the game 
and put it away really fast. So you're not spending a bunch of time organizing everything. Every You have all these little bins and they all fit in the box. That is also something you would see in some of these other places we mentioned, but definitely like on Etsy. So that's another, not literally board games. I don't think I would buy a board game on Etsy, but as you're buying games, you might find that there's some quality of life upgrades that would go really nice with your game that you prefer to have. And Etsy can be a good place to find things like that. And I've seen a little more of that in the uh, uh, in store as well. They'll mm-hmm. have like upgraded coin coins or things like that. That um... yeah, you definitely just coming full circle as we as we finish up here. You can definitely find those same type of things on Kickstarter, and I think in some ways that has cycled back down because people who wanted those bits or it's a game that wasn't ever on Kickstarter, but you want that deluxified kind of feel for it. If it's the game that you and your group or you do just by yourself as a solo gamer are playing a whole lot, having those nicer pieces might make a whole lot of sense. So yeah, it kind of feels like first that's a deluxified and very custom and very much from the publisher. And then people started making things that were maybe even better than the publisher. Some of the box inserts now it's a it can be a good amount of money but they're like these wood balsa wood uh engraved inserts that then have like game logo and designs and things on them uh like actually kind of adding some functionality to the storage of things or adding functionality to the game that's kind of nice to have if one of part of it like pops out and becomes a dice tower that you can then use while you play like yeah, it's it, it can be quite nice. It's its own rabbit hole because if you start buying a lot of games and then deluxifying every game, like that's it it's probably becomes impractical. It does make your game boxes quite a bit heavier if you travel with games, the more you start putting deluxe things in them, and they're still just cardboard boxes. Thank you so much for listening to episode 77. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. If you happen to listen to these as they come out, we've got two more episodes coming out today. Our complete lack of schedule often results in feast or famine posting, and today we feast. And on the subject of buying board games and buying used games, I found Mord Amorosa at Half Price Books just the other day. I'm so excited about it. It wasn't published here. It's been a game I've been casually looking for for quite some time now. You can also buy games at conventions, of course. We didn't mention that on this episode, but we have like a dozen episodes about what we wanted to get at Gen Con. So the next episode will be another in the Gatecrasher series about rule books. Unless you're listening to these in reverse, in which case you have 76 more episodes headed your way. The next one being a Gatecrasher episode about discovering new board games. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Bye.